Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Dr. Laura, you spoke yesterday about many different things. Uh, and one of the things that I, I think was uh, helpful was to imagine um, the whole landscape of the Bible. You said not just the people, but um, the trees, the mountains, the rivers, and animals and how they speak. And you, you talked about the donkey. I wonder if you'd just tell us a little bit of a synopsis of your book or why, what drew you to consider the talking donkey. I was drawn to explore animals in the Bible, partly because my mother was a great animal lover. And in her sphere, her children copied her perception and became very attentive to the movements and the life around us. One summer, maybe it was 2010, my husband and I took a vacation to Nova Scotia in Mi'kmaq territory. And every day of that vacation, we saw things that we had never seen before and learned things that we had never learned before, many of them about the natural world. And so I treated, shall we say, I treated my congregation to several months of sermons on what I did during my summer vacation. <laughs> However, I divided up the material and used the new things I had learned to take a new look at the animals in the Bible because I had really rekindled my own sense of wonder. And the more I looked at the text, the more I realized that life on the land in those times that Mari talked about in her video, where people lived closely with the species around them, life in those times was not so different from life in our times. I'll go out, I'll feed the crows in my neighborhood, I will uh, find the bees beautiful and the wasps annoying. <laughs> I will wonder if the top of my garbage pail is secure enough or will I be sharing with the raccoons tonight. <laughs> and this is simply a part of daily life. And really, one could not even understand our city life without being aware of the ubiquitous presence of other creatures. I haven't even gotten onto the trees and the grass that grows up in the cracks of the sidewalk and more. And to really understand how the stories are unfolding in the Bible, it helps to really understand uh, the life around the people and the life what, of the people where they interact with the creatures around them. So you were uh, inviting people to not just uh, look to the Bible with you know, what's the answer, but actually to wonder. And, to, and we were talking a bit yesterday about how we try to default to the scientific method, to the rational mind. What's the moral this book is trying to tell us rather than the mystical or magical lens? So can you say a little bit about, about that, how we, how we interpret what we bring to our text? Then Andrew's gonna ask you a question. <laughs> 
So each time you ask a question, John, it's like five questions in one, and I have to pick <laughs> one of them. I give you a variety. <laughs> well, the book is certainly a rational book, and it's also certainly a mystical book. And one of the lessons from noticing the different forms of life around us is noticing the different ways that they interact with the world, the different ways they perceive, the things that they notice that we don't necessarily notice. And for me, that gives me permission to push at the borders of my consciousness. And it might be that for my work, and for practical problem solving and following the city's guidelines around putting out those trash bins that I was talking about earlier, I need my rational mind. But to really feel the love of the people around me and be with them, to open to divine inspiration in difficult times, to welcome the dreams that come to me in the night and let them speak to my life, I need to use very different kinds of consciousness. And some of the animal stories in the Bible give us a glimpse of what that different consciousness might be. And I do believe, this part's not controversial, <laughs> that the Bible calls us to many different kinds of consciousness. I, so one of the things that I, I love that you said yesterday and you've, you've just reiterated is this kind of lens that you've approached the scripture through, which is looking at all of the animals in the stories, looking at the landscape. And that sounds so liberating to someone who maybe grew up thinking that when you read the Bible, you're looking for this box. What is the word of God? And so where is God in this? Who's the Jesus character? Who am I in this story? What can I take from it? Let's move on. And what I love about this Jewish approach to the text is that divine speech and the word of God means something so vast and expansive. And I'm wondering if you can just share with those who, who maybe weren't here last uh, yesterday what divine speech is in the Jewish tradition and how, how you approach that. Yes, definitely. In some traditions, people imagine that divine speech is the most precise speech with a precision that we as human beings never achieve. So all you have to do is figure out that one thing that the biblical text means, assuming you believe the biblical text is divine speech, a word of God, figure out that one thing and then you've got the key. The Jewish tradition has held that the speech of God, divine speech, is the most ambiguous speech of all. That is, it has so much meaning that it would take thousands of people, thousands of lifetimes to uncover all the meaning. And even then, perhaps we couldn't uncover it all mm -hmm. because, because <laughs> we change and things change. So that gives us permission for a playful style of mm -hmm. biblical interpretation where you look from so many different perspectives, change your focus now to the characters, now to the language, now to your background knowledge, and you test them, you test out all your interpretations. Some of them turn out to be like really bad, <laughs> but at least 
you try them, you discuss them, and then you try something else. Thank you. It sounds, it, it's such a liberating approach to the text. And I remember one of the most helpful uh, sermon prep information pieces I was given in seminary was from one of your classes. And it was to look at a text, no matter how big or small it was, and to ask as many questions as possible. Hundreds of questions for a small passage, and I, I really appreciated that. Um, one of the things in our Christian tradition that we're aware of is that there are a multitude of denominations. So not every Christian is going to follow the same pathway or believe the same thing necessarily. And I wonder if you can give us a, <laughs> a two-minute crash course on the, the Jewish, uh, the, the differences in Jewish tradition, because I know there, that not all people of Jewish faith believe the same thing either or practice the same way either. I can, with the caveat that even describing the denominations gives a very impoverished picture <laughs> of the diversity of Jewish life because we're really a plurality of local communities around the world, each one doing our own thing to some extent. It is possible, again, another oversimplification, but it is possible to arrange Jewish denominations on a spectrum. Over one, on one end, you have what we call the Orthodox movements, but they're really more orthopraxic, meaning what's important is that everybody in that denomination practices the same way, does the rituals the same way, says exactly the same prayers, um, at least not all with the same melodies. There, there's musical creativity. Over in the middle of the road, I know this is really confusing, but in the middle of the spectrum, we have a denomination called conservative. And then over on the more uh, liberal, flexible, evolving end, that's an oversimplification too, because all of the denominations evolve. We have the re-denominations, reform, renewal, reconstructionist. And the reason why there are multiple names for them is because they are relatively new and maybe will all become one big happy denomination sometime in the future, but maybe not. Thank you. That's great, and that's really helpful. It's the same thing, same, trying to say Christian's the same, it's not. And we know that, uh, the hundreds of different denominations. Yesterday when you were talking about the animals, uh, my takeaway, and I don't know if this is right or not, was that you talked about the donkey uh, talking and actually the donkey sensing uh, the divine and was, a, was a sensing an angel. And then later you talked about the book of Genesis has two creation stories. One, we're called to dominate uh, and one in the second story we're called to cultivate creation. And then we looked at the snake and you talked about the snake. Uh, so often we think of snakes as uh, evil or bad. And in that story you talked about the snake offering wisdom. So can you say a word about how we should look at a text? Uh, when, you, when you look at a text, uh, what, what eyes might we bring? Well, first I bring the eyes of asking questions. So when you have a text and you're not in front of a living storyteller, when you have a text, you can go at your own pace. And you can look at a sentence and you can say, well, why did they put the word and there? Why didn't they put it 
over there? Why did they make the snake talk? How is it that the snake knows something about Eve's life that Eve doesn't know herself? And why are they eating a fruit? How come they're not pulling a pepper off a vine? And each time you ask that question and give yourself permission to creatively imagine an answer, you, sometimes you are entering into the spaces that the writer deliberately left for your creative imagination, deliberately. And sometimes, even if you're not connecting with the writer, you're making the story your own. And isn't that one of the goals of reading the Bible? Right? To make the story your own and enter into that community of multiple generations? I think so. So speaking of making the story your own, one of the things you said yesterday that I, I deeply loved and it left me troubled when I thought about my own life was you said, when you partner with your donkey, you'll know where you are going. So the donkey is this inner GPS. If you have a donkey, you know where you're going. If you don't have a donkey, you're totally lost. And so I'm wondering from a personal perspective, what is your donkey? <laughs> Did I just put words in your mouth? <laughs> I, I just want to... Uh, qualify that in the biblical stories Thank about you. donkey. <laughs> yes, yes. Not that, right, because it's not legal to have donkeys in the city. We're all lost here. Right, so that's my question. <laughs> what is your proverbial donkey? Well, I'm sure I have a lot of them. Mm. It would be an easy answer to say, well, my cat is one of them because sometimes I find out where I'm at mm -hmm. by looking at how he is responding to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, why is he different today? Oh, wait, I'm different today. Another donkey for me, maybe I should just say this very true thing, are my dreams. Mm -hmm. I find out a lot of what's hidden in the depths of my consciousness by noticing what comes up at night when I've got all of those gates down and the images are flowing very freely. Mm -hmm. So I pay a lot of attention to that as well. Thank you. They say dreams are God's forgotten language, right? Mm -hmm. That God speaks in our, in our dreams. So uh, all of us uh, have, were shocked October 7th uh, with what happened in Israel and we're fully aware of the history of conflict and war there it goes long before that. And we're wondering uh, how you are as a person and, and the Jewish community and what is our faithful response as you would see it to the conflict there? What is a faithful response? One faithful response might be to draw on the places where you find hope. And we were talking about this yesterday, and so I've been reflecting on the places where I find hope. And even acknowledging the loss and the displacement and all of the things that will never be restored to this generation of Palestinians and Israelis, I do find hope. 
I find hope in the biblical story where Isaac and Ishmael are friends. There is no enmity between them. I find hope in my own knowledge that this conflict is actually not so ancient. It is less than 200 years old that Palestinians and Jews lived in the land together under different political structures in peace and in harmony. I find hope in what I see in some newspapers and hear from my friends. You don't always see this in the headlines. How many Jews and Israeli Palestinians, that is Palestinians who are Israeli citizens and living in that country, are getting together for demonstrations for peace, right? Refusing to be quieted even under the strict government uh, censorship and harassment that they receive for that. And I also receive hope from the number of people who are continuing the mutual aid that they give to one another right, within the constraints that they can now operate. I also see hope in the work that we are doing in North America to not allow this conflict to tear apart our own civil society. And even the most mainstream and conservative of Jewish organizations, the Sija Israel lobbying organization, is sending out guidance uh, to its members saying, here is how to have a thoughtful and constructive dialogue uh, with people who have very different views and sensibilities and connections that you do. And I think as people of faith, it's really, really important to find that hope and do the work that we can in that place mm -hmm. of hope. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for, uh, for being here yesterday. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for stretching our minds and our hearts and reminding us uh, about where hope is and, and the call to us to be active in what's going on in the world uh, from our faith perspective and to be in conversation listening, listening faithfully uh, to those who have a different voice or perspective uh, as we seek to be one in our difference. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.